All right, there we are. Good morning. It's great to see you guys this morning. My name is Wes Peterson and have the privilege of continuing this sermon series called The Sermon, where Jesus is giving this revolutionary teaching. And so I want to help us get into this moment because um, we're about to get into some heart work. If you haven't noticed already, this is kind of a, a series that gets past the external do's and don'ts and really is a, an evaluation of the heart. So on the mountainside where Jesus is teaching, there is a, a, like a medical procedure, but a spiritual procedure happening in the hearts of those listeners. As they're listening to this, Jesus begins to take a turn and he focuses on the relationship that people have with each other. And he focuses on our enemies. Have you ever had an enemy in your life? My guess is the answer is yes. You may have had an enemy list. There might be somebody at the top of your enemy list right now. Uh, Poll research says that seven out of 10 Americans consider the Russians their enemy. So seven out of 10 of you guys have the Russians on your list somewhere. But there may be other people or groups of people on your list. It could be another country. It could be another state. After having lived in Texas for a while, I can tell you that they have some enemies on their list because they really like themselves. Um, there could be a political party that could be on your enemy list. Could be a large group of people who for some reason you are opposed to them. They have done something that is not what you wanted, not what you hoped for, and they've made it on your list. But it could be a little closer to home. It could be somebody in your office, could be a boss, a colleague, somebody at work. It could be a neighbor down the street who's done something that has been hard for you and you've, they've made it on your list. It could be a child. It could be a spouse or someone living in your home. And they've made it on your enemy list because they've done something that has been hard hard for you. It's been hurtful for you. And it's caused a fracture in your relationship. And that's the person who Jesus is talking about today. It's that person who has made it on our enemy list. The thing is, Jesus has a radical approach to dealing with our enemy. What he said on that mountainside was countercultural and revolutionary then, and it is countercultural and revolutionary now in my life. I've recently added something to my enemy list. It's my home printer. <laughs> because I don't know what happened, but we were really good friends. I would send stuff to it and it would print it and it was wonderful. Life was great. And then a few weeks ago, all of a sudden, it just stopped working. And I have spent hours and hours and hours trying to reprogram how it finds the Wi-Fi signal in my house, and it will not do it. It finds my neighbors. So like my neighbors could print to my printer, but it does not want to find mine. So my printer has currently been sitting in the middle of my living room on the floor, and I'm walking past it every day, and I don't know what to do with it. So my printer is on my enemy list. But Jesus is inviting us to respond to our enemies in a radically different way than we would like to, than we would naturally respond to. Jesus is inviting us to do three things. Acknowledge the brokenness. He's not going to deny the brokenness. He's not saying there's nothing wrong. He's going to acknowledge the brokenness. He's going to promote dignity for everyone involved. And he's going to invite us to pray 
for our enemies. Jesus drops this line in the middle of the passage that we're about to read, and I'm going to say it in advance so you'll be listening for it. But he asks us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. So on this mountainside, which looks a lot like this picture that was taken from someone on our Israel tour recently, where this teaching is happening, Jesus is seated Those have gathered around are sitting around him. And if you were one of the first people to get close to Jesus for this teaching, you're starting to realize that you might be a part of a history-changing moment because the crowds are getting louder. They're getting larger. People are leaning in to what Jesus is saying because it is so different. It is radically different from what would be normal or common. Jesus has a different way. And Jesus is not focusing on the outside, but he's looking at the heart. And this is what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist the evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, Offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court, your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even the corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Wow. Jesus is introducing a brand new way to think about how we work with and interact with our enemies. The first place he stops is what they can relate on. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Many people who are far from Christianity and the Christian faith can probably tell you that they've heard that before somewhere. And it's a very natural way to respond. If someone takes your pencil, you take their pencil. If someone slaps you, you slap them. That's just, that's just how it should work, right? And, and if we do that, everything should just kind of end well, right? But it doesn't. It doesn't end well. Um, it, it escalates, but in the wrong direction. It goes, it goes down. It, it divides and, and creates more tension and more problem. So Jesus is proposing another way, not an eye for an eye, not a tooth for a tooth. And I would have thought that this way of thinking and living would be really, really far from us until a few years ago, I was at an event in Washington, D.C., where Alona shared her story. She was the wife of then a pastor in northern Albania who was murdered on the doorsteps of his church because his uncle committed a murder and the family that was related to the individual who was killed killed their family 
And this type of behavior has been happening for generations and generations in northern Albania. Now she serves as a pastor of that church and is leading a movement to try to teach another way to those in northern Albania of how to live and how to reconcile and be one in their relationships with each other. Because those stories, that approach to dealing with an enemy does not go well. It goes the opposite direction from what Jesus has invited us into. So how do we do it? So Jesus gives a few examples to the Jews sitting on the mountainside in in this teaching that they would be able to relate to because they were hoping and desiring a Messiah to come who would overthrow the government, maybe bring a a new leadership to the the government that was there, maybe bring a leadership to a military coup that would give them freedom and more uh, permission to do what they wanted to do. And so they're listening to the words of Jesus Like, could you please tell us that you're going to lead us out of this place of difficulty where we have enemies all around us? And Jesus doesn't do that. He invites them to consider another way. The first example that he gives is this cheek to cheek uh, uh, response where he says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, you should give them your left cheek as well. In that context, in that moment, what they would have understood is exactly what he was talking about. And it says the right cheek. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn your other one. And what Jesus is talking about is that in that time, the Roman soldiers would often have a shield or something protecting them in their left hand. And when they wanted to show their power and they wanted to show uh, how elevated they saw themselves to be, they would backhand slap a Jew because this was the side of the hand that was not clean. And so they would take the unclean side of their hand and backhand slap a Jew in the face, which would mean they would be slapped in the right cheek. So at a sign of disregard and disrespect, the Roman soldier would slap the Jew, sending this message, you are beneath me, you are not worthy of me, I am in control, I am in power, And the message would have been clear. And what Jesus says, now turn to the other cheek, which would have been the left cheek. And for the Roman soldier to hit a Jew on the left cheek, they would have had to essentially say, we are one. We are on the same level now. I'm, I'm not that slapping people is a respectable thing, but now I'm slapping you, understanding that we are one. I'm not disrespecting you in this slap. We're just fighting. And so to the Jew in that moment, they knew that if they turned the other cheek, the Roman soldier would not slap them. It's a sign of acknowledging the brokenness of the moment, the brokenness of this relationship between the Roman soldier and the Jew. This was a way for the, the, the Jew to respond with giving human dignity to both themselves and to the Roman soldier saying, don't you see? Don't you see that we're one? Like, We should not be opposed to each other right now. Jesus was inviting a different way. If you're sued in court and they take your shirt, give them your coat. What he's illuminating in this moment is that the person who is sued gives their shirt. If they give their coat too, they essentially don't have any clothes on. And the person who is suing them is is being forced to reckon with the fact that what they're doing to this person is a violation. That it it is wrong, it is not right to treat someone like that because they're leaving this person in a place of destitution. If a Roman soldier demands that you carry their gear for a mile, common practice, Romans would say, hey, I don't wanna carry my stuff. Jew, you carry my stuff for me, carry it one mile. That was kind of the way uh, the, the rules of the game were set up. And so the Jew would carry it one mile. Jesus says, yeah, don't just stop there. Go the extra mile. Show the Roman that they 
need you and that there is human dignity between the both of you and you show them this, not by saying, I'm not gonna carry your stuff or you trip them on the way or you do something to, to try to get back at them, but you show them the power of love by going that extra mile. So what's happening in this moment? Jesus is giving us a way to deal with our enemies in which the enemy does not win. Love wins. Jesus is showing us that our enemies in their moment of pressure and um, uh, difficulty and challenge and whatever it is that they're doing that's hurtful and hard, there's something that can rise above that tension and that division, and that is love. Jesus has another way. Love is the power move, not getting even, not getting back. Love is what wins. Now, just to set the context, when Jesus is doing this teaching on the mountainside to the Jews, he is speaking to people about interpersonal relationships. He's not proposing government structures. He's not proposing a judicial system. He is talking to people who are in personal relationship with each other. It's important to note because Jesus is a fan of, of law and helping people operate well together from a larger standpoint. But in this particular instance, he is speaking to individuals relationships. And even when it comes to uh, giving to someone, giving to someone who comes and asks that might be an enemy, he's not talking about the best way to eliminate global poverty. He was talking about how to build relationships with someone. So imagine your enemy coming to you saying, hey, can, I, can you help me? And rather than turning them away, which would be so much fun to do, and you kind of be like, yes, you need me, but I'm not going to help you. Jesus is saying, no, give to them. Um, be, be a blessing to those people who need help. Love is what wins the day. So, verse 44, he continues. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. What? Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. So to not love your enemy, to not pray for those who persecute you would mean you're not acting like true children of your Father in heaven. So Jesus' way is teaching us a way to treat our enemies, and it's almost like he's wanting us to treat our enemies like we would treat our friends. Jesus' way is radical. It's revolutionary. It doesn't spiral downward in eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but it gives the person who is being attacked and oppressed and pushed down the opportunity to bring love over the harm that was done, to bring unity, to bring wholeness, to bring reconciliation. And then at the very end, which is basically the middle of this sermon, Jesus drops this line. And I don't know if you heard it when I read it, but it, it sticks with me. He says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Another way to translate that word perfect, which is teleos, is like wholeness or complete. Be complete, be whole as your father in heaven is whole or complete. You talk about a lofty sermon. Jesus is 
teaching people on how to work with each other, people who are difficult and hard and have, may have done something very, very hurtful against you. And he says, love them, pray for them, and be perfect, be whole and complete as your heavenly father is complete. What, what is he talking about? I think for God who has enemies, he's not shaken having an enemy doesn't put him in a position of terror and sleepless nights. And I don't know what I'm going to do because someone is opposed to me. In that position of having an enemy, God's love continues to press forward. This is best illustrated in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. And this is what it says. I want you to listen closely. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were, while me, Wes, and you were still a sinner, Christ came and died for you. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. So while you were an enemy of God, he pursued you. He didn't say, oh, Wes, you did that, so I'm going to do this to you. You did that, I'm going to do this to you. He says, Wes, I see you as a sinner, and I'm going to send Christ to come and die for you, be raised to life for you so that you can have eternal life, so that we can have a relationship, so that we can be in communion and friendship and wholeness again. That's the kind of God we serve. And now God in the form in Jesus is speaking the words of life to teach us how to get along with each other. And he says, hey, be like me. Do do what I'm doing. Live the way I'm living, which is to come into the middle of hardship, to come into the middle of broken relationships and bring love. So how do we do this? A couple thoughts for you. First, we can trust God. We can trust God with our enemies, meaning you don't have to come up with a plan and stay, late up, uh, stay up late at night working through all the details of how you're going to bring justice to this person who has brought harm to you. We can trust God with them. Proverbs 20, 22 says, don't say I will get even for this wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. Can, can you let go? Can you let go and let God take care of the situation. In 1 Peter 3, 9, it says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Can you not only let go, but can you bring a blessing to someone who's insulted you and brought hardship in your life? What would that look like? And can we trust God for that? Can we trust God to take care of the person and give us what we need to bring love into that really difficult situation. The second thing is we can establish healthy boundaries. I think sometimes when we hear these messages, we think, oh, well, as a Christian, I should just let someone do all of the wrong things that they want to me, and that's going to be fine. That's not true. Um, Right out of the gate, when Jesus was born, 
Herod was his enemy, and Herod was trying to kill Jesus. And in a dream, an angel came to Joseph and said, you and your family, including Jesus, need to get out of here. You need to go to Egypt. And so Joseph and Mary and Jesus left for two years. They created a boundary between the one who was trying to kill him and, and, and Jesus' life. And they stayed there for two years until an angel came and said, okay, time to go back. It's okay to set boundaries in unhealthy relationships. The Pharisees also tried to trap Jesus many different times, both physically and theologically. And in those situations, Jesus would find ways to either physically evade them from capturing him, or he would say things that would allow them to reflect on their own hearts in those really difficult moments. So having healthy boundaries is something that Jesus practiced and is still good for us to do and healthy for us to do today. But he also prayed for his enemies. Not only does Jesus intercede on our behalf right now, but I can't get help but get this picture out of my mind of Jesus on the cross, praying for those that they would have forgiveness because they don't know what they're doing. Those who are killing him and attacking him and, and sentencing him to death, he is praying a prayer, Lord, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. So we can pray for our enemies even while they are opposed to us. But don't mistake the fact that we do have a real enemy. Often we think about the people who are causing harm around us and they make it on our enemy list. But we do actually have a real enemy. Scripture is abundantly clear. He is evil and he is at work and trying to destroy us. He approached, the evil one approached Jesus and tempted him while he was in the wilderness, trying to destroy the ministry of Jesus and what he came to do. And in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy. There's a, a defensive posture and offensive posture. The devil, he says, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So what Jesus is not saying in this Sermon on the Mount moment is there are no enemies and you should love evil. That's not what he's saying. We are to love the people around us that God has put around us. We're to pray for those, but we're also to stand guard against the evil one who is trying to take us out. So in case you're listening, you're like, wow, Wes, that's really great. I've never, don't really know what I think about all that. And you don't know my situation. You don't know how hard it is for me. Let me tell you what the Mayo Clinic says. Um, they did a little bit uh, of research about what happens to our bodies, our physical bodies, when we hold on to uh, bitterness, when we are in a place of unforgiveness and essentially have people on our enemy list. What happens is that um, we experience Things like poor mental health, anxiety, hostility, depression, our blood pressure goes up, our immune system goes down, and we overall miss the moments that are right in front of us because we're fixated and focused on getting even with our enemy. But when we let go and we trust God and we let him deal with our enemy and we bring love into the situation and into the relationships, we get improved mental health less anxiety and stress, hostility goes down, we have fewer symptoms of depression, our blood pressure goes down, our immune system goes up, our heart health is improved, and we have a better self-esteem. So if you're like, Jesus, all that stuff on the Sermon on the Mount has nothing to do with me, it actually makes your physical life better today. Jesus ultimately is not desiring to defeat a Roman empire. 
He's not calculating a strategy for the Jews to overthrow the Romans and, and, and set up a kingdom on earth. He's helping frame up what a kingdom of heaven looks like in our own hearts. And as we interact with other people, he's telling us that evil does not win. The enemy does not win. Love wins. Love has the power over the evil and the enemy. And Jesus' response to hurtful people is pretty simple. We acknowledge the brokenness. We promote the dignity of those involved. And we pray. We trust God with those who have hurt us. And I recognize that there are people who hear this message and say, but Wes, you don't know my story. You don't know what happened to me. And, the, and that's correct. I don't know what happened to you. I'm telling you what Jesus is inviting us into, saying that there's life found when we walk in Jesus' way of dealing with hard people. A few years ago, we had the privilege of having Andrew Brunson here at Hope and telling his story of how he dealt with an enemy in his life. Andrew was a pa- is a pastor within our denomination, the EPC, in North Carolina. And years ago, he went to Turkey to serve as a pastor in Turkey. And in 2016, the government arrested him, charging him with espionage, that he was a spy working for the American government, and they put him in jail and basically said, you're going to be here for the rest of your life. The church around America prayed We trusted God with his story and his life and did not know how it was going to end. In July of 2018, I was in Greece gathering with some global workers and just on the coast there, about 200 miles across the Aegean Sea, he was in prison. And the week that we were there praying for him, the government released him from prison and allowed him to be under house arrest. But still, we didn't know where the story was going to go. But by October of 2018, Turkey released him, said that he had committed a crime, but that his time in jail covered the, the sentence or covered the, um, the requirement for that, that crime, and he was free to go. And while Andrew was in the courtroom, when he was declared, you can return home, Newsweek reported that he said this, I am an innocent man. I love Jesus, and I love Turkey. I love those lines because he said, I'm an innocent man, which is acknowledging the brokenness of the situation. He he didn't just skirt over it and say nothing happened. He said, I'm innocent. I have done nothing wrong. He said, I love Jesus. He's talking about this relationship that he has with Christ that is above the kingdom of the rulership, leadership of Turkey. It's above the leadership of the world. We're talking about a relationship with the king of kings, the creator. And then he finishes this very short statement with, I love Turkey. I can't help but think Andrew understood what it meant to love your enemies. While he could have held Turkey in a place in his heart on that list of enemies that I don't like, I don't care about, I want to get as far away from as I possibly can, he says, I love Turkey. Do you have a list of enemies? Now, you might have them tiered in your mind. There might be somebody at the top. Maybe think, Wessel, it's not that big of a deal because I don't really have any at the top. They're kind of all down at the bottom. But do you have any enemies? My invitation for you today is to take your list of enemies 
and as Jesus invited us to turn them into a prayer list, to move those names, to move those entities from an enemy list to a prayer list and watch what God will do because he will advocate for you. Would you join me in prayer? So Father, this work of entering this hard space of navigating hurtful people and things that have been done that are really, really hard. I pray that you would meet us with the power of your spirit to bring love into those relationships, to bring prayer into those relationships, that we could see what you would do with hardship, that what you could do with pain to bring healing and restoration and wholeness so that we could experience being perfect like our heavenly father is perfect. So father, not because of what we have done, but because what you have accomplished on the cross in an empty tomb, we say yes to trusting you to take care of all the burdens, all of the challenges around us as we walk in step with your spirit. So we love you. We invite you to do a work in our hearts and in our community and in our world that would transform us. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.